hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin West. To order or download additional resources, please visit kevinwest.org. How many have seen in the last week of how the President Trump um, declared, the United States declared and moved the United States Embassy to Jerusalem? Monday, May 14th, right? Y'all see that? That was prophetic, as well as fulfilling a prophecy, which is a good thing. But also, that was 70 years from the day that Israel uh, was declared a nation. All right, May 14th, I think it was 1948. And it was 70 years to the day that it was declared as, a, as the nation. Do you know that Israel about two hours, three hours prior to it actually happening in 1948, just a few hours prior to that, the United States thought that the name of the new state that was gonna be established was gonna be Judea. They didn't know it was gonna be Israel until just a few hours prior to the nation of Israel being uh, declared and the state of Israel because they had been under a great, Palestine had been under a great Britain authority for all those years and it was coming to an end. So something had to happen. There was an incredible consternation that was taking place behind the scenes in 1948 that led up to a lot of arguing, fighting, and bickering in between and behind all of the, the, the curtain, if you will, in the Oval Office, as well as all the different uh, Secretary of State, uh, the politicians, the people that were appointed. Um, there was just a lot of fighting. Many people felt like it wasn't the right thing to do for the United States to declare um, Israel as the, um, a new state, its sovereign state. Well, do you know when God puts people in office, whether you support Trump or not, whether you support Obama or not, whether you supported Bush or not, I'm not here to talk about all that. What I am here to tell you about is when God puts somebody in a, in a political office or a governmental official capacity where he sets people with authority, that person has power when they speak. They can declare some things whether they know it or not. So when Truman made the declaration of Israel being a state, that ricocheted all over the world and it became something. So when Trump really just echoed what Obama, Bush, and others have said that Jerusalem would be the capital of Israel, unless you act on it, it is just a prophecy unfulfilled it becomes just, can, can also become rhetoric if you're not careful, where you're just saying a lot of things out loud and declarations, but a declaration eventually has to come to pass, right? If, if they had prophesied 4,000 years for Jesus to come and he never came, that'd be a pretty dirty joke on God's part, wouldn't you think? Right? There has to be some activation, some action that puts your feet with the fire and put your feet on the ground to make what heaven is declared a natural progression of things that you live in the actuality of it. For example, when Jesus was going away and he came to the disciples, he says, guys, where I'm going, you can't go. He said, where I'm going, you're not gonna go, but, but, but I'm gonna go prepare a place for you that you can't come to. That's pretty paradoxical, wouldn't you would say? I'm gonna go prepare a place for you that you can't go to. But, when, but, but I'm gonna prepare a place, but I'm gonna come back to you. But when I come, I'm gonna come into you. Now, they don't understand all of that. So there's a lot of things that are being spoken in that day 
that Jesus had no idea what, they had no idea what he was saying. Do you know there's things you're living out today or things are being spoken today around you that you may not be fully aware and understanding that really what has taken place, right? You gotta know that there are things happening exponentially and expeditiously in the world today that, that you're a, a, a living participant of, whether you know it or not. Him, him declaring Jerusalem and moving the, 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 the embassy there and declaring that wasn't just a significant moment in Israel's history, it's a significant moment in the church's history too. Right? See, for, for several years, a church, there's been a group of people that find that everything is based on Israel and Jerusalem and that's the, that's just the, only, that's the only clock that God lives on is the Jerusalem-Israel talk, clock. Then there's a whole other group of people that believe that it's all, the church is the new Jerusalem and they discount everything that goes on in Jerusalem and Israel, right? I found it that God is, it's not either or, it's also. I'm finding that the Lord, the way the Lord will stop those two schisms is he's gonna bless them both. And then you eliminate your argument, right? If Israel's blessed, they're blessed. If the church is blessed, they're blessed. And you don't have anybody to talk about. But as long as we're both feeling a little defeated, you can say you're better than the other one because you see the pain and misery of the other one more than you see your own pain and misery sometimes. Making sense? Now listen to this. You don't have to turn here. I'm just gonna read it. John chapter 11, verse 45. This is on the hills of Jesus just raising Lazarus from the dead, turned the world upside down. The entire city was going crazy because Mary Martha's brother just got raised from the dead and brought him out of the grave and the one that was dead after four days is now alive. Watch this. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary had seen the things which Jesus did and believed on him. But some of them went, some of them went, let's see, some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests, the high priest, of course, and the Pharisees and a council. And here's what they said. What are we gonna do? I mean, wouldn't it be nice for you to know that people counsel against you because what God is doing for you? You're, you're, you're making a difference in somebody's life. Your world is progressing. Things are happening, your kids are blessed. Things are happening because your child got saved, or your child got healed, or you got healed, or you had a testimony. And, and you gotta know that there could be evil working behind your back. But wouldn't it be nice to know that the evil's working behind your back because something good's happened in your life? Most of the church spends most of our time combating evil because we're going through some stuff. But they were counseling to figure out what they were gonna do with Jesus because he had just turned the world upside down. That's a pretty powerful testimony. You gotta know, the reason people might be talking about you and not coming for you but against you could very well be something's going right instead of wrong. But if your default button is to see everything wrong, you'll miss what's right. Could be you're on the threshold of the greatest breakthrough of your life. Let them talk. Then the Pharisees gathered together what do we do? For this man does many miracles. Watch this. 
if we let him alone, all these people are gonna believe on him. And the Romans are gonna come and take our place and our nation. Listen to this. And one of them, Caiaphas, being the high priest, that same year he was the high priest, said unto them, you don't know anything. People, you don't know anything. You don't consider that this expedient for us, that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should, should die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but they also should gather together in one of the children of God and were scattered abroad. From that day forth, look at this, they took counsel together for to kill him. When he began to prophesy, here's Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the high priest. The high priest is the one who inspects the lamb. He's running an old order. He's, he's running an old order, an old way of life, an old system and an old structure. He's running it, he's the guy. Jesus is bringing Lazarus from the dead and then they're all gathered around trying to figure out what they're gonna do with him because the proof's in the pudding. Something's happening with this guy. If we don't do something, he's gonna, all these people are gonna believe on him and he's gonna uproot our old system. If he uproots our whole system, we don't have anything to, 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 to work on because our whole belief system is based on our old religious system. What do we do when somebody brand new comes in, brings in a new way of life and results start happening and it brings a fresh outpouring and that fresh renewal in your life? Do you hold on to the old? Caiaphas was, his, his, his place was the old. You heard what the religious people said. What are we gonna do here? How are we gonna do this? If we let this continue, everything we've been standing on, everything we believed, every song we've sung, every hymn we've rang, right? Every Sunday school lesson we've ever learned, every rule that we've ever learned in church, every, 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 uh, obstruction that we think that people are living in, every sin that we've been against, all those things. You're telling me now that this man comes and changes it all? We can't let this go on. So the council and the high priest, a man in political and religious system, the highest point, says, you all don't know anything. He prophesies and says, this man has to die like this. He's died not only dying for the, for the Jews, but he's dying for the whole nation. He's dying for everybody. Do you know sometimes God puts people in offices and governmental and authority, and they begin to do things and prophesy things that they don't even know they're prophesying? If you learn to hear what the Spirit is saying, you won't tie yourself to a person's label. You'll tie yourself to the Spirit of God whether they be Republican, Democrat, Independent, or whatever. I'm not talking about politics either. I'm talking about even uh, uh, football, NBA, NFL, MLB. I'm talking about high-profile people that have a very loud voice. Sometimes God raises up people with very loud voices and positions of power and influence, and he allows them to speak and prophesy, and they don't even know they're a puppet on a string. They don't know that there's a ventriloquist and he's got his hand in their back and it's their mouth moving but him's voice speaking. But you have to recognize that they, what Caiaphas was saying to the people, if you guys don't understand what I'm saying, I probably fully don't understand. But there's something happening in the present moment, Caiaphas was saying, that has been prophesied for 3,000 years, 4,000 years. 
And here we are at this moment and somebody's gotta have enough discernment to know something is on the scene and something is changing. And if you don't know what's on the scene and you don't know what's changing, you only have one of two options. Hold on to the old, abandon your now, and hope one day something's gonna change. And nobody's trying to live way off into the future, and nobody's trying to still dig up the past. The only thing that is eternal for your life right mo this moment is now. Eternity is not yesterday. Eternity is not tomorrow. Eternity is now. How do you say that? Now faith is. Now is the day of salvation. We don't look at the things that are seen because the things that are seen are temporal. We look at the things that are unseen because the unseen things are eternal. So what's eternal? Now. So you have to know when now is speaking. Right? You have to know when now is speaking. So by, you weren't living 70 years ago in 1948 perhaps. Some of you probably were. But in 1948, when Israel became a nation, the landscape of the world took on a different light. But those of you that weren't born then shouldn't consider yourself wor worrying about it, but it changed the where you are today. It changed your next 70 years. So culture shaped, society shaped, based on an event 70 years ago, that allowed you and the church to get in position because from that point on, the way we did church over the last 70 years has evolved and changed. Think it's not? I went and visited a building that they called us on in Ashland, Kentucky, and I told you about this, and asked us to buy and take over this church. It was a Baptist church in Ashland, Kentucky. It had a thousand seats. They were down to four members. We didn't do it, but a thousand seats. There was a picture on the wall back several decades ago that had over a thousand people in that church. Now I've been in many, many churches, no matter what denomination, from Baptist to Methodist, Pentecostal, it doesn't matter, and, and, and I've seen it to where at one day there was a really strong expression move of the Spirit of God in all denominations. Over the last few decades, four or five decades, denominations have been fought. Walls of denominationalism and segregation and distinction have, have been challenged. And when, back when I was a kid, you know, Baptist people argued with Pentecostal people and Methodist people argued with Catholics and everybody fought and everybody had the position. And then there came a generation that grew up that didn't know what they did believe and they weren't even cared about what they didn't believe. So they started working together. So all of a sudden, 30 years ago, you see this surge of what we call the, the non-denominational churches, right? After the second generation of a non-denominational church, it's really a denomination. It's just a second generation of a non-denominational church, right? 
Then you see all the non-denominations because all the people start coming to it. Cities start populating because the infrastructure of the country starts growing. Highways are better. People start transferring jobs. Transient world starts taking place. So Atlanta's and your Dallas's and different places like that. People start, Charlotte's, they start driving. And all of a sudden now, the, 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 the merging or the converging of people create the megachurch. And the megachurches go wild because you have great resources with megachurches, right? The best music, the best technology, the best show. I don't mean show in like show biz, I'm talking about the best lights and the best, sometimes you have fog machines in some cases, right? We make jokes about it a little bit around here, all right? You have this wonderful thing and people are going, man, I feel God, I feel the presence. And the Lord uses that, right? But while all of that was happening, the eroding of culture because we couldn't control and we didn't know how to adjust and lead a mass movement of people into one setting and disciple those people and grow those people. So we just keep getting bigger, but the connectivity gets smaller and lessens and the effectiveness in culture diminishes. So how could it be in the last 30 or 40 years, we've never had bigger churches than we've had in this country than we've ever had, but we've got eroding culture like we've never had, right? How can it be you drive down Huntington and you see churches that were once, man, great in their day are smaller now and barely hanging on? Same way in the tri-state area. Not just here, it's happening all over the country. So we wonder what happened to our neighborhoods, but we removed the church element from the neighborhoods and the locality of our churches, the local piece of our churches and relationship for the mass incredible move of, of just the great experience. So we raise up a generation of people that have an incredible experience, but they're just trying to raise families. What do you do? When divorce rate is at the all time high, but our church attendance and our mega churches and our great ones are growing, 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 to have to build more building, have more facility, have more services, and do all these wonderful things. But in the midst of our experience, our encounter in life is degrading, right? It shouldn't have been that way. Nothing wrong with those things happening. In fact, they were all ordained to happen. Because what it allowed to happen was people to come to church in a large setting and hide. You can hide in the midst of the trees of the garden. But lo and behold, those things continue to grow and they should, we hope they do. We're, gonna, we're growing, we continue to grow. We got all these decayed buildings. Older congregation can't even hardly keep them going. And here we are trying to figure out what God is doing. And I come to tell you today what he's doing. Are you ready? For real. What are you gonna do when you're a part of a generation that's not the bystanders that get to evaluate what God's doing you're the people that he's doing it with. What do you do when you're not the one looking at the statistics of everybody else's life, 
And your life's a part of the statistics. What do you do when you're watching television and you're seeing the news and you see all these things that are happening, shooting kids and I mean, all this stuff that's going place and then you got a fight between the NRA and the people that are wanting gun control and, and the real issue is, where's the voice of the church? The church has to have one side or the other, and we should have a position on that. You should have a personal conviction on that, and I'm not gonna tell you what those things are, but I am gonna tell you this. You don't have the luxury. We don't have the luxury to continue on with a wonderful 11 o'clock service, a great worship night, a fun in, on, on Sunday day for our youth, and us not make some sort of effect on kids in the culture. Yeah, right? right? Yes. There's gotta be a voice, and there's gotta be a strong voice with boldness and courage in the midst of where we are. We can't talk about prosperity and not have it. We can't talk about increase and do more funerals than we do baby dedications. Because eventually you do the math. So where is the church? Where are we as people? What is God doing? If you haven't noticed it all by now, look at the kids that are born, that are being born today. Look at the people, the young people that are they're, they're, they're middle school and high school and early college age. If you can't figure out that that generation, that group, that 18 to 20 year old span of people, if there's not something different about them and you don't notice it, you're watching too much Netflix and reality's happening right underneath your nose. There, there's something different about that, that generation. They hear more clearly. They say things that are off the wall that really have a spiritual connotation. Their bend and their lean is different than what you could ever imagine. They're not afraid of praying for people. Right? They're not interested in you reliving your life through them. They want to be their own individual, right? But what we have the privilege of doing is recognizing what generation we're a part of, what prophetically is coming, and what has already happened. With the moving of this embassy, and a lot of things that are taking place across the country in the last two, three years, you're seeing an outpouring of God's spirit whether you recognize it or not. And let me tell you where we're shifting from and where we're shifting to. There was a man named Jacob in the Bible. In, the, in, in Genesis chapter 35, you don't have to turn around, I'm just gonna tell you the story. In Genesis chapter 35, there's a man named Jacob. He was the son of Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham. We hear it as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham is the father of faith that we know it. Jacob is the third, the third generation from Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's the grandson of the father of faith. He is the son of Isaac that has the faith that was ready to slay his only son. Jacob raises up and he wants a wife. And he has to go get this wife. He sees this woman, she's beautiful. Her name is Rachel. He wants that woman. Her dad is named Laban. 
He goes to Laban and he says, hey, I want that girl. She's gorgeous. She's beautiful. He says, you work seven years for her, you'll get her. He got tricked, but he worked. Worked seven years, he got her. Oh, no, he got the wrong one. He gives her, he gives his daughter Leah to Jacob. Jacob's upset because Leah wasn't nearly as pretty as Rachel. Some people even say, Bible scholars say she was ugly. Y'all make the determination. I've not seen her. But I know one thing, Jacob's heart was toward Rachel. So he has Leah for seven years and Laban says to him, if you work seven more years, you can have Rachel. So he has Rachel. Here's what happens. Jacob starts having children and he has children with Leah. And now, you know, Jacob's getting a little older in age. And he's old enough now where he's married Rachel in his old age. He marries Rachel and the first son that he has with Rachel is a son by the name of Joseph. Joseph was his, his favorite. You know the story, he made him a color, a coat of many colors. He favored him. You know the story too, his older brothers that were from Leah's, his stepbrothers from Leah, envied him because his dad loved him so much. But, but Jacob had two sons. He had a, a son named Joseph and he had a son named Benjamin that were both from the woman that he really loved, Rachel. He was dear to her, she was dear to him. His eye was towards her. So his two kids coming from that woman was special to him. Now what does, that, what does that have to do with anything? How does that work? Joseph had a dream that the, the, that the sun and the stars and the moon were gonna all bow down to him. Joseph was a dreamer. In fact, Joseph had so many dreams, that was how he got out of, in and out of prisons because he was able to interpret dreams. He was a dreamer and he was a visionary. He was able to speak forth things that were coming. Man, seven years of famine, seven years of good land. This is gonna happen. This is taking place here. This is a good one. This is gonna take place. This is, you wouldn't believe what's gonna happen in five years from now, seven years. And he was always able to foresee, foresee, and speak towards, speak forth, and, and just visionary. It was incredible. But there was another son that was his younger brother named Benjamin. And as Jacob and Rachel were traveling, Rachel being pregnant with child, Rachel got really in a bad way while she was giving birth. The midwife comes over to Rachel and says, you're gonna give birth to this one just like you did Joseph. This is gonna happen. Don't worry. This baby has to come forward. Rachel gives birth to the baby. Jacob is there. Listen to this. As she gave birth, she dies in the middle of giving birth. The baby comes forth and right before she passes away, she yells and she said, Jacob, this son's gonna be called Benane, Benoni, Benane, son of my sorrows. Jacob grabbed her and said, whoa, no. This son of Benjamin, this name will not be called Benone, it'll be called Benjamin, son of my right hand, son of power. At the death of one, Rachel, what looked like son of sorrows to her was the birthing of the son of my right hand, of power. At the death of sorrow to one, at the birth was son of power and right hand. The two of those young boys grew up close, tight. Listen to this. Joseph was a dreamer and a visionary. He gets sold into slavery, goes up by the, by, by the Ishmaelites, 
take it all the way up to Egypt, become second in control and, and power at Pharaoh. The beginning of Exodus, the Bible says, there was a, a new Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph. Well, that Pharaoh back in Genesis knew him and made him in rightful power. He was so powerful that he could make declarations. He was second in control. He controlled everything. Here's what happened. Watch this. Joseph was separated. You know, he was sold into slavery. His brothers go back and tell his dad that he was killed by an animal. His coat of many colors had blood on it where they had staged the scene, gave him the, the coat. His dad was in grieving, had been grieving all those years, thinking his son had, was gone and had passed on and died and was killed by a wild animal in the, in the field. But the reality of it is they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites sold him to the Egyptians, traveling to the Egyptians. The Egyptians take him. Joseph gets an incredible favor in the midst because he was a visionary and a dreamer. And he gets favor and he promoted up into the ranks in the Egyptian way. God had positioned him in Egypt because several decades later, there was a famine in the land where his father Jacob and his 11 sons were. One son had been assumingly killed, Joseph, according to the father. The father thought he was dead, but he was really alive in another city. The father hears that there's, there's, there's provision up in this land of Egypt. So he sends his brother, his boys, and says, go tell him. You guys know this story well. I'm just getting to something. He goes, here guys, you know, tell this guy, take this money that we have, tell him we need food or we're all gonna die. He says, guys, Okay, so they make this journey up there. They meet Joseph. Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. Watch this. He didn't recognize them. Or they didn't recognize him, but he recognized them. He's wanting to know now where the story, here's the story. What's happening to the family over these last several years that I've been dreaming and visionary? He finds out that they're back in a hard way. He goes, I want my younger brother, Benjamin. That's what he says to himself. He goes, what do you have? They go, we have another brother, but we can't bring him up here because my father has, we lost our other brother. Not knowing they're even talking to the brother that was supposedly lost. He says, I want the younger brother. Bring the younger brother up here. None of the brothers wanted to go back to their dad, Jacob, and say, dad, we need to bring Benjamin. He won't give us any food or anything unless we bring Benjamin. Watch this. Finally, they convince their dad, fast forwarding a few chapters, they fast forwarding, or to, they, they convince their dad to let him bring Benjamin. Benjamin comes up there with them over a series of events. As soon as Jacob, or Joseph, sees the brothers and sees his younger brother. Now this is Benjamin, son of my right hand, power, and Joseph, the dreamer, the visionary. When he sees all the brothers together, Joseph began to cry and break. And when he began to cry and break, he went, oh my God, this is my family here. His heart wept, his heart was tender towards them. They had no clue what was happening. So jo Joseph sends back Joseph, the, the Benjamin with a, a silver cup in his backpack, silver meaning redemption takes a silver cup and he goes back to the family. Now watch this. As he's going back to the family, Joseph sends somebody after him to see who, he said somebody stole this cup. So he goes back and he finds out that this, it was, it was, it was actually Benjamin that had this in his cup. Benjamin had no idea that they had planted it in his cup. He got set up, set up. 
because Joseph was a a visionary, a dreamer. Benjamin was a a warrior, a young man. He gets caught up, this is what happens. They go back, they bring him back to Joseph. Joseph sends everybody out of the house except his brothers. Joseph reveals himself to Benjamin and everybody else. Who initiated the revealing? Joseph. Joseph is a type of Christ. The brothers couldn't see him, but he knew who they were. There was no way they were ever gonna discover who Joseph was unless Joseph revealed himself to them. He plainly told them, it is me, your brother. They all cried, they all ate, they all had a meal together. And then Joseph says this, Benjamin, brothers, go back and tell the father that the two sons that he loves are reunited again. And the one that he gave the coat and favored is well and okay. And bring him here and bring all the family with him. 70 people relocate from the land of famine to the land where Joseph gave them their own land. He gave them their own food, their own cattle, their own sustenance. He gave them everything and he brought them all together. Seven of them carried, 70 of them caravan, caravan up here. What is the deal? What does that, all, what's that even mean? We're switching because when Benjamin comes in control and comes back on the scene, when you put visionary and dreamer in the same place of son of my right hand in power. And Benjamin is a warrior. That means everyone of the tribe of Benjamin were warriors. Saul, tribe of Benjamin. Gibeah, the judge, tribe of Benjamin. Mordecai, tribe of Benjamin. Paul of Tarsus, tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin, the land that he occupied during the time when it was all separated, A part of it was Jerusalem and part of the Palestine territory was his. He was close to Judah and he was close to Joseph. Judah was praise, worship. Joseph's the older brother, the elder brother. Benjamin's the younger brother. Joseph is a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. Benjamin is a type and shadow of the sons of God, the church. Joseph is the visionary. Jesus is the visionary and the dreamer. He saw it. But Benjamin, which is us, are the warriors. We're held back. We were saved. We're preserved. We're kept back for what? For this time that we're living in right now. 70 years Israel has been a nation. 70. 70 years to the day Jerusalem has called, called the capital. 70 years Babylon had control of Israel. 70 years 70 was how many relocated from Egypt, from, from, the, from the land of famine to Egypt. 
70 was how many Jesus called into himself and sent out to heal and deliver. 70. I'm declaring to you that whether Trump knew it or not, he fulfilled a prophecy this past Monday. I don't care who was in his ear or not in his ear. Doesn't matter to me. Caiaphas was speaking it and he was the guy over there looking at lambs and he was looking at Jesus. He fulfilled a prophecy. But when a prophecy is fulfilled, guess what begins to happen? Things begin to activate. Because the Bible says from that day forward, he tried to set out to kill Jesus. And guess what? Jesus had to die. It was time for him to die. Why? So he could go away to prepare a place that when he come back, he would come into you. When those things happen, significance begins to happen across the land. Things that you can't make happen for yourself, you become under the, 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 the shadow of the Almighty and God begins to do something and you just happen to be alive when he's doing it. Somebody had to live on Main Street in Jerusalem when Jesus got killed and was crucified. Somebody had to be minding their own business. And just because they were decided to mind their own business doesn't mean they weren't affected by what was going on around them. You have to know you are now being affected by what's happening around you. And what's happening around you are prophetic implications left and right. It's not a matter of is Jerusalem the baby. Jerusalem is a baby. God loves Jerusalem. He loves Israel. And who blesses Israel will be blessed. Who curses Israel will be cursed. But I got news for you. Who blesses the church will be blessed. Who curses the church will be cursed. Right? Why? Because we're underneath the same thing. We're underneath the blessing of the Lord, whether you're here in the United States or you're here or you're over there in Jerusalem. The United States had the power to declare them a nation 70 years ago. Do you realize the authority that comes from being in this sovereign nation? Do you know that by him doing that on Monday puts the United States as the place that said, everybody was fighting, you shouldn't do that, you should do that, you shouldn't do that. Why do you think they're fighting? Do we stay in the Iranian conflict or Iranian deal or do we come out? Why is it important and what matters in America affects the whole world? And why is it that you're living in this country, a citizen, a nation of this country, and you're here and you're going, oh my God, what's this? You're not a bystander. You are to affect and infect the entire city and region that you live in. Because you're living in a time when prophecy is becoming fulfilled. You are shifting from living in the days of the dreamer and the visionary to the time where it's now son of my right hand and power. It's not time to continue to have great visions 30 years from now. Somebody's gotta have a, a life today. You've shifted into what will be to what is. That's why you have to raise your two-year-old different than you've raised him in the past. You've got to begin to cultivate the voice of God in there. Why? Because God brought them into the world at a time when it's activating his voice. Their voice is essential. They're just not cute little kids. They're carrying and packing something that the world is screaming for the manifestation of. We got a little colleague that comes up here in the worship. I've never once acknowledged that. He's not up here, it's not cute, even though it's cute, right? We're not patting him on the top of his head and go, oh, that's adorable. 
No, we've identified that Michael and Bridget have imparted something into him that God placed in there before they even knew who he was. Our job is to identify it, affirm it, equip it, and release it. Right? You can't, get on the, you can't be on the bench any longer. You have, if you've got a unique gifting and anointing for finance, you have to get in the game. You have to start activating. Why? Because you're not dreaming anymore. You're living in it. There was a time where Joseph revealed himself to the brothers and said, everything that once was a dream is now here. Why? 40 years before that, they were bowing down in a dream to Joseph. 40 years later, when it was actuality, they're bowing down to Joseph in a real life. What are you gonna do when what you've been dreaming about is now real life? That's where we are. Maybe you weren't sober for, for, for 30 years, and now you're sober. Not to get through the next 30 sober, to make a difference in this world, right? Maybe you've gone through a real bad divorce and you don't even know how you've even made it through it, but you're here and you made it. Maybe it's not easy. Maybe it's difficult. Maybe your body just hasn't been cooperating and you're hurting all the time. I know, but he preserved you and saved you for now. Why did you get bored 20 or 30 years or 40 years before your time? Because God had a plan for you right now. It is, you're not too old. You're not too young. You haven't made too many mistakes. You're, and you're not even too prideful. He'll still use you. I feel this. We're shifting into the Benjamin season from where we had dreams and visions to reality and actuality. We gotta do it. You gotta activate. You gotta put your hand to the plow. But you don't understand, my hands are tied. I'm stuck in my situation. I I can't do anything about it. I'm gonna tell you something. You can't do anything about it that will be comfortable. But you can do something about it that'll upset the apple cart. The question is, are you willing to upset the apple cart? Or stay in the discomfort that you call comfort? Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Some of you need, give yourself permission. You've had a dream, you've had a vision, you've been carrying it for years. Give yourself permission to take a step. Some of you are afraid to get in a relationship because the last one you had was so bad. Give yourself permission. You don't need to compare this season to your last season because last season seemed to be a little bit better. This season will surpass the last season if you stay with this season. It'll be better. Gosh. It's the last, it's the next 50. We're ending it today. Some of you need healed in your body, healed in your mind. Father, right where they are, in Jesus' name, I speak healing into their mind, healing into their body. 
The Lord said that there's gonna come on you, I don't know who you are, but I'm gonna say it's all of us, you discern, a giddiness. It's like a, like a giddy, you're gonna be giddy. Almost like a little bit, like a kid of excitement, anticipation of the things that are, that are happening and are, are gonna to continue to happen. And here's what he told me to tell you. Don't be afraid and don't sit there and act like at any moment it can change. Because you've had good days and bad days or good weeks and bad weeks, but the, because there's been so many disappointments, you just expect the, the good days to run out because it's been three or four or five days. Why don't you just go ahead and say, now is. And take one day at a time and enjoy the day that's in front of you. And don't borrow tomorrow's trouble because it has enough of its trouble of its own. He said to tell you, you've lived without joy for so long. You've had to fake it till you make it. Without the joy of the Lord, there is no strength. He said, you have entered into, not will be entering into, but you have entered into a moment in time in history that he preserved and saved and held you back for. And all the stuff that you've gone through in your life, the good, the bad, the indifferent, things you caused yourself, the things that you were just victimized by, all those things that happened, God said, are for now. Give yourself permission to take the next step. He said, he's not holding you back. You've got invisible barriers that you placed around you. And he said, if this generation of adults will activate and step forward and take that next step, they won't hold back the generation that's ready to storm the gates. Yeah. Father, I just pray for a radical impartation of confidence and boldness and courage and of joy into your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what we're gonna do. I want everybody to get your special offering envelope. I want you to make that, that offering envelope to ECH or you can still text give in it. We'll separate it out. But I'd rather you have the offering envelope. It would be a lot easier if you could, even if you have to text give, put your number on the card or on the, the offering envelope. And I wanna challenge you today business owners, individuals, you're not giving an offering to me or to the church. It's the vehicle of which it'll go through. But this is coming from your heart to him. Make your checks payable to ECH. Please don't just flippantly give him a tip. Just put it back in your pocket if you're gonna do that. Do what's on, what God, whatever he tells you to give, you give. 
right? But you know in your heart if you're throwing a couple dollar bills on the table because the service was pretty, pretty decent, the meal was okay. That's not what we're doing today. Just keep it if you're gonna do that. Be better off serving in your pocket, okay? This is out of the, the abundance of the heart is what this is. Then I want you to stand to your feet, all of you, after you do that. Stand to your feet. Yeah. We're gonna have, you see in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, they would bring their offering in. We, we, we're so sophisticated today. We have stewardship teams, usher boards, we have all those kind of things to make life easier. But we're gonna do something a little different today. We're gonna to have you bring your offering, a first fruit, a first week, a feast of weeks, a Pentecost offering. And this isn't some craziness. We're gonna have you bring it to the front and put it here. We're not filming yet to see who gives and who don't give. Okay, this is between you and the Lord. I promise you, this is between you and God. It has nothing to do with us, okay? I'm gonna do something different real quickly. Coach Bryant, would you come up here real fast? I'm gonna have you pray a prayer blessing over this. We're almost finished, but you guys hang with us if you don't mind. Go ahead, pray a prayer blessing over this first, this offering. Fathers, we come before you. Lord, we just... We just give you praise, and Lord, you are glorious, Lord. Lord, we honor you. Lord, we thank you. Lord, Lord, your your love is endless towards us. Lord, your your love abounds towards us. Lord, there's nothing that we can do to deserve any, anything that you've done for us. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. We're not doing, we're not giving offerings, Lord, to, to earn something from you. We're not giving offerings, Lord, that, that you would do something special for us. Lord, we know that you're going to do it because you love us. Lord, you want to bless us. Lord, Lord, those of us that have children, Lord, we, we love to see our children do well. We love to see our, 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 our children be blessed and we know that you're going to bless us Lord that's unquestionable Lord but as we come before you Lord we come giving this offering just to show a little bit of our gratitude towards you Lord just to show a small inkling Lord of, of our devotion towards you Lord, we, we just love you. We want to love you, Lord, as much as you love us. And so, Lord, we, we pray for each and every person that's here, Lord. We pray that you would bless them. We pray, Lord, that as they give, Lord, we know, we know, we know your word, Lord. It will come back to them abundantly, overflowing. And, and it's meant 
you're going to work through others to give back to them. And we thank you for that, Father. Lord, we thank you for this church that you've given us. We thank you for our church family. And Lord, we just ask, we just ask that you continually pour out your love upon us and help us to, to receive that love. Help us to receive all that you have for us today, Lord. And so we thank you, Lord, as we bring these, these offerings to you. And we just continue to give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Austin, come up here real quick. Is he still here? Come on up here. This is Austin, Maine. I think he just got that job. Here you go. Congratulations, Austin. Tonight at six o'clock, worship night six to seven. The kids are gonna have their, their fun day outside and all around this place. I wanna invite you all to come back. God bless you all. Those of you who wanna bring your offering up, you can. The rest of you are dismissed in Jesus' name.